Welcome to episode 184 of Control the Controllables. And I hope you're well wherever you are in the world. And I bet you're glued to that TV as we get to the closing end of the Australian Open. And I'm disappointed. My ego is very disappointed today as my dark horse, Sebastian Corda, that I picked in our preview last week went out at the quarterfinal stage to Kashinov. And then Pagula, she was a shoe-in. I had her. She had dropped 18 games all the way to the quarterfinals. And she has also left the event to the great champion Azarenka earlier on today. So it's going to be a fun end to the tournament. The men's event is going to be difficult to see anyone pass Novak Djokovic. And it's also going to be difficult to see anyone win the hearts of the fans around the world like Andy Murray did in week one. What an absolute warrior. Lots and lots to talk about on that, uh, including actually three of the semi-finalists weren't allowed to play at Wimbledon last year. You know, as we see, as we see them move into the semi-finals of the event. So let's see what happens over the next couple of days. We actually do go away on holiday tomorrow. So that review will be coming to you a little bit later than normal. So be patient and look out for that. And and whilst I've got your attention before we move into our fantastic guest today, I also want to let you all know a little bit about an opportunity we have here at the podcast, Control the Controllables. And it's something we've done the last few years at Soto Tennis Academy, is we've opened up placement student opportunities to come spend a year at the academy in the various departments. And I can't tell you how well it's gone. You know, it's worked incredibly well for the student coming in, you know, the experience that they gain, the contacts, the networks, the skills, and the experience, the life experience that they get. And we then get a hardworking student who is willing to put the put the work in to help the academy. And we are going to open up an opportunity for somebody to come and spend a year with us at Control the Controllables starting in September of 2023. Applications have opened. We will put the details in the podcast notes. But I promise you, if you have an interest in getting into podcasting, if you want to experience living in Spain and spending time with a, an enthusiastic, hardworking, brilliant team, then this is something you don't want to, to give a miss. No more of that because I have to move into what we're really here for today, and that is the amazing, the the brilliant, the humble young woman that is Tamara Zidanecek. Tamara came onto our screens back in 2021 as she made a big run to the semi-finals in Roland Garros. She's someone that we know well. Carl Mize, our performance director at Soto Tennis Academy, has been coaching her for the last year and a half. And Mike Digby, one of the coaches at the academy and also one of our guests on the show has been spending some weeks with her as well. Tamara's been as high as 22 in the world. Her ranking has dropped a little bit over the last few months, which is normal after you have a big run to the semi-finals of a slam. But we have no doubt it will get back up there 
But more than that, she's an absolute delight to listen to. She gives amazing insight. She's smart. She's got great opinion to give. So sit back and enjoy Tamara Zidanchek. So Tamara Zidanchek, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Hey, hey. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's it's great to have you on, Tamara. And as as I was just saying there, off offline, you haven't given yourself much break. You know, I know that you were you were in South America a few days ago. You you start preseason in a couple of days, and I guess that's the reality of tennis that many people don't see. Yeah, um, it's been a wild couple of months, let's say. Um, I also did take vacation in between, but that um, I had to travel again for that. But, you know, that's just the way the, this end of the year turned out. Like, for example, last year was different. So um, every year is different. So it was, I liked it. I was up for it. So why not? And do you feel ready to go again? Do you feel like you've managed to get your freshness back? Or does it feel a little bit like, poor? Oh, I've got to go again? How, how are you feeling? No, I actually, I've, I'm motivated to do it all over again. The new season's coming up and the season I'm, um, I'm ready to go into the preseason. Good. Well, I, I, know, I know Carl has lots in mind for you, so you better be getting a good night's sleep after this to, to prepare. But I, I want to get into your professional career shortly but as with most people that come on the podcast I always think that it's it's nice for people to understand the journey into tennis you know I think it's a sport that so many of us love it's a sport that gives so many of us so much so when you go back to to the very beginning because my understanding is in the country that you're from, Slovenia, it's not necessarily tennis is not necessarily the number one sport and winter sports was was a big part of your life as well. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe professional tennis is not big, but recreational tennis, a lot of people play. Um, yeah. I would say maybe basketball is big. Yeah. Giving Luka Doncic, yeah. Goran Dragic. And, but yeah, like you said, winter sports are very popular here. Um a lot of good athletes, alpine skiers, uh, ski jumpers. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Biathlon. <laughs> and yeah, so, and I myself started with skiing, given I, I live where, where I used to live was 20 minutes away from a ski resort. So okay. that was my first choice, you know. So I started with skiing when I was, I think, about three or four years old, actually. Very, very young. Um, and then I went into snowboarding, um, which I also competed in a little bit on a national level, like until I was like 10 years old. Okay. And then I moved into tennis. So did the tennis, did the tennis start after that or did it start alongside that? Where, where did it, the it started alongside that basically this, um, like this ski school, they had um summer camps something similar and they had tennis yeah okay and so that is where i started i also played with my dad a little bit but my tennis lesson started with this ski okay. uh, ski summer camp so this is this is why you move so well on the clay courts you know you're used to this movement on the snow yeah 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 and also i i think the first time i stepped on a hard court was when i was about 16 
Really? 15 and a half, yeah, to have a proper training session. I was preparing for junior US Open. No way. So so in the in the in the winter you are you playing on indoor clay courts as well? Yeah, we played on indoor clay courts. They put up a tent, the bubble. Yeah. Yep. The bubble. And yeah, that's where we practiced. It was super cold. <laughs> so you so you would you would be the opposite of British tennis players. Certainly, certainly my generation, you know, because we I remember we would go to play in the European events under 14s, under 16s. And we were like walking on the clay saying, what is this? You know, and like yeah. the, the second that we got moved one and a half to two meters to our right or the left, we were done. You know, like yeah. the, you could almost see the other players laughing at us. So you, you, were the opposite. you see, uh, that was my experience on the hard court. It took me, I'm like about four, three, four years to start feeling comfortable with yeah. the movements on hard court. Yeah. My body was not used to it. Like it was screaming at me, like because of the impact. It's so different, and yeah. But then you, it's just a matter of how how used to it you are. You know, I think at least that what it was for me. Because because for the, for the listeners, the, there's and this is listened to in in many countries, many many tennis people that are listening. For them, a tennis court is a tennis court at, at club level to to a degree. You know, it's it. So, so tell us what are the big differences between a, moving on a clay court and moving on a hard court? Um. Well, for me, it's just the sliding. You know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> on a clay court, you're able to slide. On a hard court, you need to be physically stronger um, to be able to stop and push from the corner um, the impact of you you bring a lot of speed into one corner and the impact of that stopping is so much harder on your muscles on your legs on your um, like ankles knees I feel like I mean I for example I, I I started having my my problems problems with injuries when I went to hard court a little okay. bit more, yeah, because it was just nothing special, more of inflammation stuff, you know. Yeah. Just because of the impacts, I felt heavier when I finished practice on a hard court compared to a clay yeah. court. It's just I felt lighter on a yeah, clay yeah. court. And what about grass? Um, grass That's is another again. story. That is, yeah. it's super, it's super like um, well, soft. Which I like, but it stops you even more than the hard court. On a hard court, you're able to slip a little bit if you can. I can, but grass is another story. You need to be even stronger. That's very tough. You get, very you, specific. Glutes, the glutes burn after the first couple of sessions on yeah. grass. The you, glutes, no, yeah. Nobody can get away with that, you know. Mm. It's, it's it's completely different. No, because I uh, the first time I'd seen you was when I was coaching Pana Pana Udvari, and she played in. You guys played in Hungary, and I remember thinking, "Oh my!" God. Can you can you remember this the name of the city? 
it's like a super long name. It's yeah. ridiculous. It begins with an H, maybe, or it's H. like Yes, I do. It's yeah, crazy. it's a long, long, long name, and and lots of good players. I remember Kostuk was there. Oh, uh, yeah. Dan- Olga Danilovic was there, but mm. but I, I remember in that match just thinking I'd never seen someone move like you did on the clear. You know, I remember thinking, mm. God, you can't, you can't get you off balance. You looked so strong, so uh, you know, in in position for for everything, you know. And I think it's it's really interesting then to get the background into that. You know, yeah, of, how, yeah. of, of, of how of how long it does it does take for people to become so familiar um and in terms of your childhood tamara you, you had a good childhood how you know good upbringing you know who were some of the most influential people that you had during that period yeah i i consider my childhood to be pretty good i'm really happy when i think back um honestly um i'm happy that i was one of the last generations to grow up without a phone looking yeah, at yeah. it now yeah um, we went out and played like soccer. We were on the swings, running around this town. It was luckily safe where I live. The whole Slovenia is safe. So we were able to do those stuff, you know. So you just get a different upbringing to what kids these days do, um, which I, I'm very happy about. And yeah, just my whole family, honestly, now in the past two, three years, I've I've seen how how much they how much of an impact they had how much I miss yeah. them how much I miss the how much I miss home and like the relationships yeah. you know it's not that we have don't have relationships now but it's I just don't get to see them you know it's yeah. so they all had a big impact on me mom dad brother grandmas everyone yeah. and how old and for there's some parents pricking up their ears right now because you know, parenting is is a challenge. You know, I'm a parent of three and mm-hmm. and and it does feel at times like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. When when are these kids gonna appreciate everything that I do for them? You know, and I and I think that's what, what most parents do think. So give give the parents a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. How how old were you when you started to really appreciate them and realize how lucky you were? <laughs> Well, no, I, I had a sense of that, even though maybe my actions didn't show. But I guess I'm 25 now, almost. I guess, like I said, two years ago, three years ago is when I kind of, well, I went from this girl to a woman and kind of moved away from home. So yeah. it's like when you see, you know, like when you... <laughs> what is it like when you can have something you know something like that the grass is always greener yeah yeah yeah. so once you don't have something you see how how much you miss it or for example so there's so i still i still have a while to wait maybe somebody yeah. listening's thinking <laughs> thinking that they thinking that they yes. don't and, and at what age as well tomorrow you know you you are you're 24 years old now you know you a grand slam semi finalist 18 months ago so had some good success early you know in a sport that is a little bit more aging now you know for some for someone 22 20 22 23 years old to to have that success at what age was it that you knew that tennis was the route that you wanted to go and you wanted to really pursue this as a career? 
that was when I was finishing primary school, going into high school. Okay, so pretty um, early. Yeah, that was, I was, what, about 14? We decided that I'm going to try this professionally. So I, I, I went into this special school program. Well, my, my high school allowed me to not be in class and do exams, like half, half a semester exam or something like that. Um, and yeah, so I was not present in high school for okay. classes, but I did it not online because I went to the school to do the exams and everything. But so that was... And I moved away from home, only 30 minutes away to the city where I practiced. And um, and yeah, I spent six, seven years of my life there. Yeah. And, and in terms of, I always think, I think a lot about the two words, confidence and belief. And mm. and for me, I think they're slightly different. I think I think you know being confident is is potentially a momentary thing that you know people can have confidence in certain moments, whereas a belief is something that's a bit more stable that's mm. that's in there, you know. And you can you can lack confidence in a moment, but you can have belief. And I go back to to my playing days, which were absolutely nothing like yours, Tamara, but. I always, always strongly believed I was a doubles player. I always, but even though I won some singles tournaments, probably deep down, I never quite believed it, you know, and and even to, even to this day, not that I'm going to be making a comeback, I still kind of carry that belief in my doubles, but not so much in the, not so much in the singles. Did you have that belief when you were young? Is it something that, um, I'm sure all of us have doubts and fears, but was it kind of really strong that you're like, you're going to get there, you just know you are, or has your career come as a bit of a surprise to you? I did have that sense of belief, um, given the type of person that I am. Like, I want this certainty and the safety. I wouldn't go into this lifestyle if I didn't have that belief. Okay. So, yeah, I, 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 I felt it. I don't know. I sense that I can do it. So, yeah. Uh, where did that come from? I don't know, honestly. <laughs> because at that time, I didn't. I didn't even watch tennis yet on TV. Not not that much. So I would be like, "Oh, I can play like her. I can play like her." No, I just I just loved sport in general. I did a lot of sports and. I just, honestly, I don't even know where that yeah. came from, but I just had a lot of fun in any sport. And tennis was maybe just something that I had a little bit more fun at. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, f I find it fascinating, you know, to, to hear that mindset. And, and what about in terms of as you were doing it and you were going along the journey and playing the juniors, and I know you played some junior Grand Slams. I noticed you didn't play junior Wimbledon, I don't believe. Mm, no. Avo avoided the grass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but what was it that, uh, obvious, the obvious thing is you want results and you want success and you want to win. But in, let's say, that 16, 17, 18 age group, what was it you wanted to get out of tennis and now age 24, 25, has that changed? 
Um, it didn't change. <laughs> there is, um, I know what I can do. I know where I can get to. Yep. Um, it's obviously at the end, like you said, it's, it is all result-based, but for me, it's more like, um, personal fulfillment of yep. my potential that I feel I can get to. Yep. So I'm going to stop my tennis career when I know I got that, you know, when that's going to be, I don't know, but so far things in my life, I mean, we all have ups and downs, but I feel like I've been fulfilling my personal, um, and potential in that moment so i still feel like there's some steps to go so that was my goal from day one that was that feeling that i'm i was chasing and that i'm still chasing that and and when we talk about the chase the the chase of 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 anything you know it can be sometimes when we when we get there it can be like oh now 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 what or, or the other thing that can happen, and I think this happens with a lot of athletes, is is when that playing career then stops, it's then oh, how I've I've not thought about this before. You know, this is I'm now in this position. So you know, you're you're a very intelligent young woman. You know, I know that you study, and I'd love to hear a bit about that because I I think that's something for me. I think that's. I love that. It's something I've advised a lot of players over the years to have, you know, a bit of a balance in, in, in your world. Do you have that same chase to have the success and ambitions after your playing career as well? Or does does the goal come to a bit of an end when we talk about your tennis playing? When we talk about my tennis playing, well, I would definitely like to be involved in, in tennis somehow. Maybe not directly on court um, yeah. as to coaching or whatever, but somewhere in, in the background. Um, um, but I have definitely thought about my life after. I have to say I have a really good um, personal life, luckily. Um, so for me, if tennis ends today, I know I'm going to be okay. You know, um, I have things that... I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things and I can see myself doing a lot of things. So um, that is also why I chose to do this studies. I'm very interested in psychology yeah. um, and just to have open doors, you know, for whatever comes. I'm not 100% sure what is that one thing that I want to do, but I am interested in a lot of things and yep. I'm definitely going to explore something after Great. And, and that, and you seem to me like someone who's got your head screwed on with that. And I promise you, I'm not wishing away your career tomorrow, your tennis, you've got a long time and lots more to achieve in that. But I think having that outlook is really important, you know, and having, you know, just a, a bit of an understanding that I talk about this, like it's a, it, life's a continuum. It just, it continues, you know, and we continue trying to get better. And when people put sort of definite ends to something, it, it can cause it can cause us problems a little bit yeah no i mean i on tour and now in like i'm gonna say 10 years of my life playing tournaments and growing up you see and like i've had a lot of talks with people around me 
um, you see how some players and some coaches are invested only in tennis. Tennis means everything. Then you have others who have a bigger view of of life. Like, okay, tennis is just a part of life. You know, let's create an environment that you feel good in and um, and make a life outside. And I'm not saying that either one is right or wrong. It's maybe in a way you can get better results when you're up again that's just my thoughts like you can get better results when you're um only focused on tennis but then i think ashley barty was a good example of that that's not true you know um i don't know her personally but i feel like she has her personal life sorted out and tennis was a big part of her life but not the most important one. And yet she was the world number one, you know? So I am kind of leaning towards her perspectives. I I just, I've always um, liked that, you know, tennis is only one part of your life. Well, it's how you, for me, it's how you measure success. So, so success comes in many different forms. You know, mm. and, and and I often, again, use the example of, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turns, talking about Jennifer Capriati, but a Jennifer Capriati who won French Open age 16 or whatever it was. And then we saw pictures age 23 and she's having big difficulties and struggles in her life and she she's not happy, you know, and, and, and I think we have to keep that perspective because it, it can't just be, it's not, it's not good enough to just win a tennis tournament. That's not going to fulfill someone for 70 years, you know? So having those other success measures. So what is success for you? Huh. Yeah, that's a good question. Success for me is, <laughs> I like to feel the calmness. Like I like to be insured. So just to have the people around me that, you know, are going to be there no matter what happens. Um, that's basically my my family, my friends, my fiancé. It's just knowing that, like I said, if something happens to me and I don't get to play tennis tomorrow, they're going to love me just the same as they did. I go and lose all of the matches. They're going to love me the same. I go and win all of the matches. They're going to love me the same. That's that for me is success in life, you know. Very good. I, I was actually in Turin for the World Tour Finals, mm-hmm. helping helping a, a couple of the guys in the doubles. And you get a bit of an insight at some of these events and especially a, a quite an intense event like that because you've got so few tennis players there. It's only It's only the men. And there's only eight or nine, ten reserves, and then the doubles guys. And it was really interesting to me with Novak Djokovic actually, uh, because he 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 won his match, and this happened on a couple of occasions. He, he he'd finished, he'd won his match, he'd done his job, you know. That's what he was there. I mean, uh, he went away with I think four point seven million euros <laughs> from the week, so he certainly did his job. But I happened to. Not that I was trying to eavesdrop, but I was on the table next to him a couple of times. And I'm not going into the details of what it was, but he was clear he was clearly having business meetings, you know, and it was like 
that job's done. I've I've warmed up. I've played my match. I've won my match. I've taken care of my body. You know, the family's gone back to the hotel. I've now got a couple of business meetings that I'm going to set up. And you can, you could really, you could see how, even though I'm sure he's got a, a good few years left on the, on the tour, he's, he's already in that mindset of, I'm not just a tennis player. You know, tennis is one of the things I do, but running businesses and whatever it might be is, is another element. You know, we've seen it with Serena for, for many years. And, and I guess you're along that journey and putting yourself in a really privileged position where your tennis playing is giving you this platform, you know, where you're making a living doing what you love, but at the same time, it, it is giving you a platform to then be able to open up other doors. And, you know, I'm sure as your career goes on, there'll be plenty of time to be able to use that in, 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 in a positive light as well. Yeah, um, honestly, when you that surprised me that you said that he had business meeting. I thought you were gonna say that he was with his family. <laughs> yeah, That's well, right. he, he was. I mean, I mean, he was at times, of course, and you know, you no, saw. No, no, no. I know some of them, but yeah. But was, that really surprised me. Like, that's obviously these guys are on an, another level with their fame, popularity and being famous and having a lot of doors open for them because of the platform that they've built through tennis you know Novak Djokovic, Rafa, uh, Roger, Andy and I guess that's just something that they I feel like to them it's almost like not not an obligation but you know they've been playing tennis for so long they're I know we're all going to be said like we are now that Roger Federer is out of tennis and when Rafa leaves and Novak leaves, to them it's almost like an, obviously they're doing it for themselves still, but they're also doing it for a lot of people and for the tennis world. You know, it's, they have a lot of pressure on their hands and I, I can't see any of them just cutting ties with tennis after their career. You know, they're going to be involved in the sport for the rest of their life. I, th I think it's the, it's iconic, isn't it? And and if you think about even, I mean, who, who, the, who the hell am I to call him Novak? I'm, but I'm calling with Novak, Roger, Rafa, Serena. When, once you are knowing them by first name, and that's the that's kind of how the whole world talks about them. Then I think we know that they are they are global yeah. icons, and it it must be yeah, it must be a very challenging way to live. You know, they've obviously because, like you say, it's not no longer just doing it for themselves; it's doing it yeah. doing it for the whole world. Maybe in five ten years, we're going to be just you'll just be Tamara, and I won't have to ask you anymore how to pronounce your surname. So that. Could be <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's that. But if we move into your your professional playing career, and I know it's it's relatively early still. You know, you're you're certainly not all by any stretch of the imagination. Um, what is your highlight? You know, is it the obvious one of Roland Garros 2021, or is there some other highlights that also jump out? Um. Yeah, actually, there's two highlights for me. One or three, maybe. One's the obvious one, then winning a tournament, and then um, one is kind of a hidden one. It's the Australian Open this year. 
where I it was my first time moving into the third round of a grand slam in a hard court on a hard court. And that that was I felt like that was one of the best tennis that I played so far. And yeah. And and you earned it as well. Mm, thanks. It was, it was it was hot. I remember watching a couple of a couple of those matches, you know. And, and 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 when we talk about the obvious one, Roland Garros semi-finalist 2021. Tell us tell us about that. Um, honestly, it's I still everyone at the time was asking me, can you actually believe what's happening? And I was like, no, maybe give me a, a little bit more time, but I still can't believe that that happened. You know, once you're in that situation, you're just going with the flow. I was playing matches, I was feeling good. Um, it was also a weird year, still with no uh, spectator, not full amount of spectators. So uh, I have to say I was a bit sad that it didn't feel like a real Grand Slam. Yep. Um, but yeah, obviously, I mean, going into the last um, master- matches of a Grand Slam is a big thing for me because I always, always felt like, okay, this is a Grand Slam. Now I have to do something special, you know, uh, like the, the pressure just rises just because it's a grand slam. Yeah. It's hard to deal with that emotions of like playing a match in a 250 first round or playing a match in a grand slam where you could be with the same opponent, but just the stakes are higher, you know. Yeah, well, Dasha, yeah. Dasha Savile, I spoke to Dasha maybe three weeks ago on the, on the podcast. I saw her post. Yeah, and she yeah, exactly, and she posted mm-hmm. about that very topic. Yeah. And she and she does, um, for the listeners, she does speak about this very topic in in the podcast as well. And it's it is a fascinating topic because, yeah, you go you're going along your your business and your life, and you you're doing these things, and then all of a sudden, four times a year, everything's everything's magnified to to just the nth degree. So, so tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I struggled a lot with that. Not just going to Grand Slams. I I went from a $10,000 tournament to a 15000 And I was like, I was telling my coach, listen, I don't think I can do this. It's uh, This is too too much. There, and then I ended up playing the finals. And it was the same going to 25K. And then it was the same going to 60, going to WTA. It's like, I mean, it's the same players, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, Grand Slams four times a year, big stage, mm, a lot of spotlight on the players, on the matches. It's just, for me, it took time to get used to that. Um, and that's just it. Some players are used to the spotlight, the show, the the crowd, the noise. And I just wasn't. I like peace and quiet. So it just took maybe two two years more than it should have, I guess. I don't know. Did that work in your favour that that was a quieter Grand Slam? I I don't think so, no. Because I was in the zone. I, I didn't really think about it. You know, there's still cameras, millions of people watching around the world. So, um... I don't think so. No. And in terms of now, what then happens? Because you go from being this young 
tennis player who is is going along doing well you know and for people in the industry we i mean the admiration i have for any tennis player that gets to any reasonable even though even get into into grand slam qualifying is just off the charts because i know everything that has gone in for years and years and dedication and sacrifice you know but for anybody else names not necessarily out there to then become a grand slam semi-finalist especially in your home country how did how did life change and how did the perception coming towards you change well, obviously, Slovenia is a very small country. So when something big is happening in sports, everyone knows it. And I was home for the, I'd say, when the guys won the European champion basketball championship. We were all watching these things, like watching ski, uh, skiing, um, winter sports. Um, we were all in, behind the TV watching it. You know, it was in the news talking the next day about it. And then I, I didn't know that this was happening when I was playing. Course, yeah. And I couldn't, I didn't really, you know, it didn't get to me. I didn't, um, I didn't know. So when I got home, <laughs> I was invited to the president. So that was a big deal. Then yeah. all of these people came to um, meet me at the airport. That was very special. I, I, so I live now two hours away from where I, I lived when I was younger. I was driving back home. I stop at a gas station. I get out of the car. Um, and there's people recognizing me, you know, now a lot more people recognize me obviously it's died down but still that's just i did get this sense of wow people really do watch tennis people do watch sports because i knew before but i never felt it in my yeah. own skin but now i i i get it you know and yeah it's just it's a special feeling you know and and for someone who like you've said, you like the quiet life is, is a special feeling. Yes. But it was, it, did it ever get to the point where it was like, Oh, I don't want everyone to know who I am. Um, <laughs> yes. And no, I mean, obviously we all work for this recognition and success in your own field. Yeah. So that was good. But at the end, yeah, I do not, I, I struggle with it. Yep. like with the mm, attention obviously everyone likes a little bit of attention but like this recognition and but i deal with it pretty well let's say I, my, my next my next bit tomorrow i had um kazakina on on the show oh, maybe 18 months ago and also dalma galfi quite recently and and both of them said a very similar thing. And what they said was they, their ranking rose quite quickly, you know, and Dalma, when she was just coming out of juniors, went up to, I think, 120 in the world. And Dasha went from, you know, quite early. I think she went to close to being top 10. And both of them said they didn't feel ready to be that ranking. And not that they didn't believe that they could be, not that they, you know, aren't going to settle in, into that. But I guess when you have a, a standout result like 
semi-finals of Roland Garros, the ranking does shoot quite quite high up. Is that something that you've experienced that maybe you felt you weren't equipped to be 22 in the world at that at that time? And if so, how have you dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I did feel equipped based on my tennis knowledge to be yeah. there, but I certainly did not feel like I belong there yet. Yeah. Um it's tough because at the end of the day, we all practice like crazy. I'm going to say 95% of the girls, boys do put in their best efforts. Of course, we have good and bad, bad days. So to be able to be on the top of your game all the time um, is very, very challenging mentally, you know, and it's easy to get to where I was, let's say I was 22nd. It's easy to get there, but it's easy easy compared to staying there, you know. I think getting there is the first bit and then staying there and having that consistency on the high level is the hard part. And then once you settle in and you experience that, then anything can happen, you know. Even if you don't necessarily... But not believe it, but even if you don't see see it happening in the next in like in the near future, you're going, you're playing, you're you're there, you're consistent, you know. Girls go up and down. So it's gonna there's gonna come a time where you're gonna when it's gonna happen something big if you're there. So you just have to be there. And uh, just for for those listening and, and for myself. Because people say this across sports, you know, you hear it a lot across sports that it's one thing to get there, but it's harder to stay there. You know, it's quite a it's quite a common thing that's said. Mm. Can you give us a bit more, a bit more on that? Like why, what, why is why is it? You know, because it's bloody hard to get there. So, so what well, becomes even harder? For <laughs> me, I think it's easy to be the underdog, right? And then yeah. once you you don't you're not the underdog more, the expectations rise and. I think that's where not I'm not people I myself that do the same mistake still mistake by my standards is that you think okay so I've done that okay no so now this is just the normal thing but when actually in reality um, you're still doing something very very good you know it's not normal to do that every day yeah. so it's appreciating what you do you know not taking it for granted because then then it's not going to mean anything, I think. And then the expectations obviously rise from the people around, from yourself. You, you just expect more and more and more, and this becomes normal. So you need to still appreciate the little things that you do good. So it's easier said than done, trust me. I get it in, in theory, I get it practically. It's very hard, but that's, that's it, you know. I think the I think that the the best and the greatest things are the simplest ones. Yeah. No, very. It's a, it's a great thing to share. I am um, over over this kind of podcast. It's not a series, I guess. It's over 180 podcasts. It can't be called a series, but it's it's unbelievable how much I've learned. You know, speaking to it's just amazing people like yourself in in the tennis world. 
and there's certain things that just jump to mind. And, and, and I guess like any knowledge information, you end up taking them on as your own. You know, that's that's how how the world works. And, you know, you add that to your philosophy and your philosophies grow. You know, it doesn't I wouldn't say my philosophies have changed, but they've just grown and evolved. And it was something that um, Iga, Iga Shviontek's, um her sports psychologist, Daria, when she was on, she she talked about having high standards, low expectations. And I completely love it in because expectations i think kill us you know and, and and it's and it's how how do we shift that into saying okay well I, I i'm changing that into a standard it's it's about me setting the standards demanding standards day in day out in terms of what i'm putting into it and for me i how i do that and how i bring that into my philosophy is is a standard is a controllable you know control the controllables mm -hmm. uh, an expectation is a is an uncontrollable you know yeah. it's 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 just kind of there but it's it's not something that that we can control um but like you said it's it is easier said than done you know and it's and it is real and it and it is a real mm -hmm. thing and i would like to move you into 2022 and and get your reflections because I, it's been a challenging year for you you know there one one there is that expectation there's that defending defending something you know whether it's defending yeah. points defending a position having a bit of a target on your back because you're the girl that made semis at Roland Garros um you've had covid twice yeah. um you know you've had you've had disruptions along the way you know again us in in the industry we know how important momentum is in tennis and it's quite, it can be hard to get at times, you know, to get the matches under our belt. Um, so there's lots that's gone on. You've got engaged. Congratulations in 2022. Um, but give us, give us your reflections on, on the last 12 months. It's been a learning process. <laughs> um, I, I honestly, I don't want to just forget about this year because it's a lot of things have happened. Like, over the past 10 years of my life, I've always had consistency, always same people around me. And already last year, but mostly this year, everything changed. Like my team is completely new. Let's say most of the people in my team are new. And I, I'm just not used to that, you know? So, it was a big thing for me. I maybe didn't even realize it. Now, looking back at the season, I see that the situations were new for me, you know. So I, I was learning how to handle them. And um, yeah, um, you were speaking about momentum. I did have a really good momentum coming out of the Australian Open. Um, and then getting COVID, which was not nice. The first one, I, I took me about three, four months to recover from that. Physically, I was not able to practice really. I just, I just wasn't. Um, then team members in my team after those four months of recovery started changing, you know, the dynamics started to change. So that was them. I was able to practice, but then there was this. So a lot of things at once piled up, which made me not be focused in tennis. You know, also then there was a grand slam coming up. I had to defend the points, and 
when you're when you know that you're not calm and prepared for something it just it's not possible in this sport anymore at this high level so then my ranking dropped and then i got an, another covid so i it's, it was a lot of things um but i did learn i was put into new situations and i'm choosing to look at that from this you know i i like that quote what is it it's very, it, it said like if you want to improve step out of your comfort zone you know yeah. so yeah. i was put into a lot of different situations i gained a lot of knowledge different viewpoints now i want to go back to the consistency which i know that i need um and that's what next year is going to be about for me getting that consistency back and and in terms of the changes do you think that happened because people around you changed because now you were you were different you were a semi-finalist of a, of a grand slam so it, it, and i guess that sometimes the danger of of success you know because it brings it brings other things there's a, it's a bit more lucrative there's a bit more money involved there's a bit more like you've talked about attention you've become you've become somebody um, you're not little old you anymore, kind of plodding along on your journey, going through the progressions. Would you put the changes down to people around you changing on the back of Roland Garros? A little bit. <laughs> yes, it's obviously we're not. I mean, the player gets put into these situations and it's not just the player who can handle it or who should handle the situation. Yeah. Also, the team around you need to step up and be able to mentally digest what just happened and need to react properly to that. And I feel like people didn't do that. And like you said, there's a lot of higher stakes financially, mostly yeah. um, um, psychologically, just being out there, you know, with a target on your back. Um, yeah. And then there's this greed, right? Is the word for more results, like just more, 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 more. Yeah, but like, listen, slow down. I, you know, I, I needed for me. I needed the space. I needed the people to listen to me. Look, next year, and that was 2021. At the end of 2021, I was trying to explain. Listen, next year's coming up. It's coming up. I know that I shouldn't think about defending and whatever we should be focused in improving but i am thinking you know my mind just goes there it's i couldn't i couldn't help it you know yeah, yeah of course yeah and they didn't listen you know so um yeah. that was one thing that i didn't like that was you know a lot of <laughs> i'm not going to say a lot of but some people on tour who who I've noticed, not that I worked with them, but who don't like to listen. They just not think that their view is the best view and the only view. You know, maybe it can work for some players because they need that. But for me, I needed someone to listen in that moment. Yeah. And that meant that didn't happen. And that, that skill of, of awareness... You know, I I talk a lot to players about this, that kind of preempt, 
and I actually encourage players to preempt the things that are concerning them because mm-hmm. because if they're if they're not preempted and they're not brought out into the open, they then internalize and they they formulate mm-hmm. a, a, a negativity in, in a very challenging situation. Whereas if you can preempt and I I actually only ever won one professional singles tournament. Um, I say professional, it was a, a futures event. And I, and I remember that week, I preempted so many negative things at night. Like I hardly slept, but I was like preempting losing my serve in the first game. And, you know, what happens if it does that? And I've not lost a tie break yet. And if we go to a tie break, you know, what if I lose the first couple of points of a tie break? But what it did was, and, and, and this is again at my relatively crappy level, what it did was when it came to those moments, I felt I'd been there. I yeah. felt I'd, I felt that, okay, well, I've been there and I can now handle it. If if that gets brushed under the carpet, as with any emotion, you know, it it, it turns into a monster. And, yeah. and, and that's what it, maybe it sounds like happened. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, we do this. I mean, it can work also with visualizing positive things you know like being in uh on the court playing a grand slam first round let's say being in that tough moment where you have to play at five all third set 30 all that point and go and win that point you know visualize you winning and you're gonna be in that situation and it's gonna be the same you're gonna feel like you've been there it's i completely understand and yeah just but at the end of the day it's just about maybe that situation in my life was just about letting it out, you know, just talking yeah. about it, discussing it, and then you can make a plan. So that was that, yeah, just talking about the the situation and about the feelings that I I was feeling. So a, a similar a similar topic tomorrow. My in my opinion, it's losing that kills people. <laughs> You know, like losing people when people can't handle the losses, when the losses just are so devastating and just hurt so bad that, you know, we've all seen it with tennis players. It's then like they don't talk for two or three days. And it's, you know, it's like when when that happens, it, it eventually for me, it's just too much. And yet we're in a losing sport. You know, we're in a sport where we're, we're losing all the time. You know, if you have a good year, you lose pretty much every week. You know, if you win a match, you lose 45, 47, 48% of the points. You know, like if you serve well, you serve at 65% and you miss 35% of your first serves. You know, it's a losing sport. So so the ability to handle losses is is massively important. It seems to me like you're, you're a well-balanced individual you know you've got your family life you've got your friend life you've got your studies so how when it comes to losses are you quite good at finding the perspective and 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 separating it and certainly separating it of I often think tennis players self-worth as a person is linked sometimes to a win and a loss are you able to to make that separation I am too good at it I think (laughs) I think I should um Bit more. it does it depends it does affect me obviously I'm not happy when I lose but I'm very good at shifting perspective to just that yeah. other life um but I I 
have been struggling, but very good at hiding it <laughs> with um, with the losses and tennis results reflecting your self-worth. I think that's a pretty big issue in tennis world or even in sports, I think. Um, and in the past two years, I've given more attention to that and more awareness to that and discovering life more, let's say, yeah. through that. Um, it's helped me a lot to just be aware of that, um, to think about the tennis doesn't define us. I know sport doesn't define us. It's just, it's very hard to separate that, you know, you give your life. It's your life 24 seven. You think of that, you devote everything to it. It's going to hurt when you don't succeed, obviously, but yeah, um, you got to learn to deal with that and to, and having that second life helps with that, you know, not second life, but first life, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, personal life that helps with the self, uh, self worthiness for sure. So if you're, because there is, there's, there's, I had it as a player. Now that I'm a bit of an old man, I am able to have that perspective, but I wish I had that perspective when I was playing. I went through bad moments and I thought I was just the worst person in the world. You know, I really mm -hmm. did, you know, and, and I now, I now, I, there was a really defining moment for me actually. And the, the, the defining moment came for me when the players in my era, in my kind of time that I, that I was playing, that I almost looked up to who were having, slightly better results than me. They were getting picked for Davis Cup ahead of me. They were, you know, and I didn't understand it. I felt I was working harder than them. And I I, I then set up the academy a few years after I stopped playing. And one of those players got in touch with me and asked me for a job. And mm. and actually because of the values and the way that this person lived their life, I I, I turned them down. And but it was a really eye-opening moment for me because I was still very young, I was still early 30s, and I was like, all of this time in my teenage years and early 20s, I'd given myself such a hard time for not being ranked higher than certain players or not doing, you know, only playing Grand Slams because I've got a wild card or losing second round or dude, you know, whatever it might be. And and actually, going back to that life as a continuum, the fact that I was doing the right things and I was trying to live life right and I was trying to give my very best to everything that I did, I was trying to be respectful to people that I was around, is then what got me in a position to be able to have a bit more success after the playing career yeah. and put me into a position. And it was it was just one of those kind of moments that, that I, I wish... I could get across to youngsters, you know, when I look at the juniors and I see them just mm -hmm. like heartbreak, you know, they think they've let the world down because they've lost the tennis match. So, mm -hmm. so what would your message be to, if you speak directly, imagine there's a, there's a 13, 14 year old listening to this. What, what's the, what's, what's the message? There's not enough time to put in, <laughs> but let's try well, my message would be that, first of all, to remember why you're playing is because you're having fun, probably. Now go out there, have fun, do your best. That's the only thing you can do. 
And if the result is not what you like, that's okay, you know. Tomorrow you have another opportunity. Tomorrow you're gonna go out and have fun again. Um, it's a never ending story. And if you just, if it comes from the heart, if you're doing everything that you can and you're doing it with joy, then again, it's a mentality of being there consistent. It's gonna, it's gonna come, you know? But if you're doing it for fun, no matter what's happening, you're gonna have fun, you're gonna enjoy it, you know? So I just, my message would be to, to get that, to find that kid in you too. Obviously that might not be, they're still kids, 13, 14, but let's go 15, 16, 17, when things are getting harder, when you're starting to become a, a professional, when you're playing at a higher level, more, more stakes, more pressure from the outside world. Just find that inner kid with you, in, in you, you know, because I've heard from a lot of psychologists and a lot of doctors and everything that the kids are very outgoing, very, you know, fearless. So yeah. if you find that, I think you're going to be fine. It's such a lovely message. And, and I'm going to clip that message off and I'm going to send it to you as well. Because, because yes, thank you because because in terms of you know as 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 we go for our life and where we need to remember these things as well and you know when you're having your moments and I think I said it to you when you were at the academy you know when eager when eager spoke in our circle and you know you were mm -hmm. in our circle and you experienced that she gave a very, very similar message, you know, and it was, and she was the defending Roland Garros champion at that time. So we, I kind of, I saw her, her, the height of her stress, you know, mm. and she was, she was, she wanted at age 19 and she was going back to defend. And there was a lot of stressy moments, those 10 days, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of emotion, you know, she, I, I luckily got to know her quite well in those 10 days and she was really quite open how she was feeling. And when she spoke to the academy and spoke to the kids in the, in the circle, she, she said those very similar words that this week's helped me remember why I play tennis, you know, and, yeah. you know, seeing you kids running around with smiles on your face, it's, it's really helped me remember the real reason that I play tennis. Now, um, I, uh, we try and take the credit. I think she won love and love in the Rome final the next week. So, yeah. um, but she didn't quite defend the defend it. But but that that message is a, is a really key message for us all. So thanks for sharing tomorrow. My 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 last my last little topic before we go to the the quick fire round, and it's a big topic because the topic is tennis. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I guess you know we've we've talked your career. Um, Tennis, I, I like to ask players because you're, I guess the product is tennis. And, and, and when you come outside of the bubble a little bit, you do realize it is a product, you know, and in terms of, you know, you guys are the players that are they're creating the entertainment, but there's a whole ecosystem around that, you know, and, and, and there's, you know, it's, it's battling against, the, the Netflix world that is now, you know, every, the instant gratification, the, there's now other racket sports, pickleball, there's paddle tennis, there's, you know, there's all sorts. Now, 
from your perspective and from your your yeah where you're where you're standing you know where where do you see tennis sitting currently um very high up <laughs> i think tennis is a very popular sport i know other sports are getting popular as well but um it's been there for a long time and it's grown in its popularity i think that's also the wta and atp and itf are trying to i'm not sure if that's accurate but i'm pretty sure that they're trying to um, expand it and do better for the players for the um, make it more accessible and yeah just the better the professionals get the more it's going to get developed in each country that means more kids are gonna go play it you know um, and I think it's a very very beautiful sport for me the best one yeah, and, I agree. and I think it's it's high up in the charts world charts of the sport but if we take if we take a WTA 250 or you just played the the 125s out in South America ultimately the money money talks so money you know in terms of any any business product there there has to be there has to be a a, a demand you know a demand for tv rights a demand for ticket sales a demand for all of these mm -hmm. things at that level what's the average crowd size would you say for first round second round quarterfinal matches yeah looking from that perspective Sorry, maybe I was just going basically based on sports and the the heart of the sport. But looking on the um, on from that perspective, it's mo most of the majority of the attention obviously goes to the bigger tournaments and the two fifties and one twenty fives and ITFs, lower ranked tournaments um, might not get the best recognition from the cities that they're being played in you know because all of the focus again is an entertainment business is focused on the bigger events so i i'm not the best i would not be the best advertising marketing salesperson so i don't know anything about that um how that is done but that there can be a lot still done on making the smaller events more popular um, there are exceptions, obviously. They're they're in where when the tournaments are being played at the country clubs, for example. I was just in Chile, um, in Colina. It's close to Santiago. Be, the tournament was played at, at a beautiful country club. the The stadium was full. They okay. loved the sport. It was beautiful. Um, you know, so it depends. But generally, the focus is on the bigger events, and there could be more focus on the smaller events. Again, I'm not sure how hard that is to advertise. Um, but yeah, just looking from a player's perspective, there could be more crowds. Yeah. And, and what about equality in tennis? You know, we, we're finally living in a world where there's been a light shined on equality in workplaces, in, in, in life in general. You know, from from 
my perspective, I think tennis seems to have done a better job than most sports, you know, in terms of, you know, there's still a lot that can be done without a shadow of a doubt. But certainly, you know, I use the example a lot. If you if we think of, you know, the, the top 20 sports women of the, of the last 20 years, you've probably mentioned 15 tennis players. You know, because the of the profile certainly at the high level, but again, for someone that's in it, how how do you feel the quality specifically in tennis is? Is it is it getting to where it needs to be? Do you see the 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 right actions being taken? Tennis is getting fast now. Like it's becoming a very fast and athletic sport over the past, like for the last five years, we're standing closer to the line, taking the bar, ball earlier hitting it harder obviously the technology is developed with it has grown with it the strings the records everything is making that possible but it's it's becoming a very athletic sport like i was i read the andrew agassi um, biography a while back and he was playing i, I think it was a roland garros quarters or something and he was going to mcdonald's every day i'm like yeah that wouldn't work anymore you know a lot of things like this like um uh, how agile you are how you take care of your nutrition how how fit you are just physically then it's tennis and what you can do with the ball so it's it's developing very fast and and like you said there's it's good that there's still room for for improvements in the sport but do you, as a as a woman playing tennis, do you feel valued? Do you feel that the the women's game, the women's tour, is 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 valued the way that it should be on equal par with the men's tour? Um. Well, the reality is that men are going to get more viewers, right? Um, not always not always if you not always yeah i was in america i was in american university 98 to 2002 and it was at the height of the williams sisters of of justine henning kim clysters Mm -hmm. you know that period and certainly in america i think the most watched match in the u.s open was uh, was always the women's you know and it, same if we get emma raducanu last year in the in the mm. u.s open i believe that match was watched globally by more people than the the djokovic medvedev match so not all right always. so so i'm i'm gonna say yes then then i think it is valued um and i i think it's good because also now obviously men's is also mixing a little bit with the younger generation but with women is interesting you know because there's anyone can win the tournament so you're going into the tournament thinking okay this this is going to be interesting and i think there's a lot of great players um who are actually playing a very very interesting game even in women's tennis um who know a lot about tennis and the sports intelligence you know that are intelligent sport wise know how, where to put the ball and i i think i know you require a little bit more knowledge and <laughs> to to see that you know not just um like my grandma wouldn't see it <laughs> but it's from my perspective that's really good to watch to see that there's players in the top 10 who 
who have an interesting tennis, a very fascinating tennis, attractive. Without a doubt, and I think as a, as an industry, we need to keep pushing that. And you know, one of my one of my favorite quotes I've seen this year is. It was actually Coco Goff during the U.S. Open. She said, um, "I saw somebody that that looked like me in Serena, that and that was that was why I started to to play the sport, you know. And you know, if you can see it, you can be it, you know. And us getting, mm. you know, us getting everybody on the screen, showing showing the the wonderful sport, and 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 that's that also, I guess we shining light on that, but also shining light on mental health within the sport as well." You are the first woman that I've had on on since Wimbledon changed the rule, you know, that no longer do, do women have to wear white shorts under underneath their their dresses. You know, many, many women were talking about the anxiety of, of their periods, you know, that real, real challenge. That, that that they go through that's sometimes a bit of a an unseen you know you're watching on tv you're not thinking of these bits but the fact that we're that we're starting to to really look at look at people as human beings who have have these mental health issues and have these things to deal with what was what was your thoughts when, when that was announced yeah um i think that's very um important the mental health and just the because I mean, I'm I'm the luckiest girl I can say I've had my period on Wimbledon two out of three times <laughs> that oh, week. Yeah. But I I normally deal good with that. I don't have any problems. So, uh, but it is Im- important because it's it takes honestly two weeks out of out of the month where you are going to be up and down and then to worry about this having yeah. to wear whites and yeah. that's just one element that can be taken out that doesn't need to stress you and that's really good that i did that i know it's a tradition and it's hard to break the tradition but i think that was a very good move but it, and it even i think tomorrow opens up and normalizes this conversation you know and yeah. i think you know, which which I think is, you know, I've worked with with quite a few girls, women, or over over the years, and it, and it's it's a very normal conversation. It's a very normal part of and an important topic. You know, if you're when you're when you're working with someone, like you say, you know, different people will react differently during during their periods, before their periods. Is it from a mental standpoint? Is it from how their body is? Is it, you know, I, I know many players that have experienced that they get so tired that they can't lift the same weights in the gym, you know, all of these. Yeah, it was a bit of a taboo topic, you know, or has been a bit of a t- taboo topic, topic over the years. So that must be a positive as well. Yeah. Um, to me, it was never a taboo topic because, I mean, it's just part of nature. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, I mean, again, like we said, we need to speak about things to process our feelings, our emotions. So it's good that it is out there. Um, if it's going to help some people feel better about this situation, then it's done its job, you know. Absolutely. And as you as you move in 
to 2023. I can't believe we're talking about 2023. <laughs> I mean, that is, oh my goodness. I remember celebrating the millennium just like I felt like last year. <laughs> and uh, that's when you know that we're getting, I'm getting old. But, you know, are you a goal setter? Are you someone that likes to have outcome calls in place and then you process performance goals towards that? What standards are you looking to reach in 2023? I am a goal setter, but not necessarily for... It can happen between the year as well. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, I am looking for the consistency, um, getting back that consistent work, consistent um, people around me. That is going to... I hope, I believe that is going to give me that sense of calmness and uh, security. And, and yeah, mm, committing to my actions, to my committing, being able to um, follow through with my thoughts, like put it into action. Very good. Well, as as you know, Tamara, you are, whether you like it or not, you're one of us right now. You know, you've Carl Mize as, as your coach. I know you've recently had Mike Digby with you in, in South America. So we we are following you every single step of the way, you know, with 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 full support at the academy and, and also at the podcast. We've loved having you on. I've loved having having the chat. Thank you. Yeah, it was a really nice chat. It's been great to have you. But are you ready before you go? Quick fire round. Now, this can be quick if you want it to be quick. You know, it okay, can be, let's it can, let's go. Roger or Rafa? Rafa. Serena or Venus? Venus. <laughs> Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Serve or return? Serve. Doubles or singles? Singles. Your favourite Grand Slam? Australian Open. What's one rule change you would make in tennis? I would allow for the let call on the serve to be played should there be a medical timeout or not yes do you ever have you ever played it have you ever pretended that you're injured to get a bit of time no <laughs> but some no. people do yeah i don't like that but there's no there's no making a way around it you know you say no there shouldn't be a medical timeout but then if someone needs it really needs it then don't there's play. not one don't play. Yeah. What, what if something happens <laughs> during the match? Okay, we disagree on that one. What, <laughs> what what does control the controllables mean to you? To it means to control what you can control. So what you think you can control, what you feel like you can. Okay, so I know I can. I can um, to focus on the. On doing the thing, not not on the outcome. Very good. The next question, I know the answer because it's net cords or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you've already had the rule change. And who before you answer this, you are you are the person who passes on the baton to the name that you say. Yeah, it's your responsibility to get them on the podcast. So be careful who you say. You know, we had somebody said Donald Trump the other day, and I was like, "Well, are you get, come on? Are you going to get Donald Trump? Are you, have you got his number? Um, and who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables?" Oh my god! 
Now you're putting me out on the spot. I can we, think that fast. This need, is a whole process. We need more women tennis players on this podcast. Yeah, you need so more women tennis. Can you get Ashley Barty? Well, this is the thing. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> so I should get one player to do yeah, it. Yeah, it's your... It's, 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 it's I, your... Think, I think Jill Teichman would be a good one. Ah, okay. Yes. Well, I think I can. I, I can ask her. We would we would love to get Jill on. So if you, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a message. If not today, over the next few days, for you to pass. The I can ask her. Maybe we look at the start of 2023 uh, to to get her on as well. It was great during the pandemic because none of you could leave the hotels, so <laughs> nobody had an excuse. Whereas now all of the players are saying, "Sorry, I can't. I'm busy tonight." Or whereas uh... before. I, I knew everyone was locked into the hotels. Tamara, you've been a star. Thank you so much. Thank Love you. Chan. And have a, have a great preseason. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. And a big thank you to you, Tamara, as well, because that was that was a great conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed our time. We could have spoken for longer. And yeah, just I, I think for me, Vicky, it's, it's you speak to these players, you see them on TV, you know, that you see them as professional tennis players, which they, they are. And just to get them and just see how someone is so normal, you know, family loving, you know, intelligent, reads, studies, and, and, and actually is a person, not just a, not just a robot tennis player that hits tennis balls. And uh, she was lovely, wasn't she? Oh, she's lovely. And she was lovely when she came to the academy. Very, very sweet with everyone. Yeah, like you say, just very normal, very unassuming, no ego at all. Um, yeah, just a really sweet girl. And like you say, very well-rounded. We speak to so many tennis players and it is very just like one track, tennis, tennis, tennis. Um, but yes, yeah, she seems completely the opposite. In fact, she said herself, didn't she, when you asked her about dealing with losses that she probably copes with them a little bit too well. She her self worth isn't based on whether she's winning or losing in tennis. But I guess too well, too too well for what is the question that always comes into my head on that? Because it, it's a, it's I find this a fascinating subject actually, because too well to maybe be a serial winner, <laughs> you know. And I think I think we all know the way that the minds of top top athletes or top top business people in in any field almost have this almost a bit of a twisted mind in some ways and like I I was listening to a podcast the other day actually with Jamie Carragher and he was talking about at the very height of his football career he hated it and he was talking about your Steven Gerrards your John Terry's I think if you then go into tennis you look at a lot of the top tennis players you know Serena Williams I think is a great example it never looks like there's that much joy. <laughs> it's it seems like it's it's quite painful and all consuming. It just takes it takes over your whole world, which isn't great for your mental health. <laughs> so so when you get Tamara who is is a normal person, you know, who happens to be exceptional at tennis and is working incredibly hard, what do you want? What's the trade-off? Do you do you want to have that mind of someone that maybe has a small chance to go on and be this serial winner at the top of the game but is unhappy in life? Or do you want to have the, the player who is maybe lacking a little bit of that 
but has a really nice balance, happy life, good, you know, good, healthy mind, you know, good, healthy life that's going to continue over the next 30, 40 years. I think it's a really interesting battle to have. And it, it kind of begs the question, and I've had lots of discussions on that, you know, do you have to be a bit of a dickhead to be at the very top of, of your field? And I guess it depends on how comfortable you are with being a dickhead as well. Why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> Some people are totally fine. Um, I'm not, by they're, the way. And it they're, just happens. And they're, um, they're happy. Like they're, that, what makes them happy, like Andy Murray said at the end of the interview, I can't remember, was it the first round match or second round match? He said, you won't believe it by looking at me on the court, but that's actually when I'm at my happiest. I'm also not saying he's a dickhead either. But... Um, I, I guess everyone is different and everyone has different points of, of what makes them happy. And it's finding a balance in your own life, your own career in tennis about what that is. And Tamara seems like whatever happens on the tennis court, she is going to be happy. And does that not also prolong her career potentially as well? You know, I think, I think like a Freddie Nielsen who we have on our preview and review, you know, he used to have such a good outlook, such a great outlook on, on, on the sport. And, you know, it was about the process. It was about going out there, putting himself out there. I remember when he won Wimbledon, I saw him in Cardiff like three months later and he was there for the indoor 15K. And I was like, what, Freddie, what are you doing? He said, oh, I, was in, I was in Indian Wells last week. And he said it was so boring. I played like one match and then didn't play another one for three days. You know, whereas I play a match every day, singles and doubles. I get up early, I train train all in the morning. And, then, and that's what, that's kind of what made him happy, the pursuit of excellence. And, and because of that, he ended up playing, I mean, he only retired a year ago, age 38, 39 maybe. And age 30, he won Wimbledon. You know, and how many people at age 25, 26, 27 can't handle it anymore? You know, so, it, you know. It's, it's not even about the wins, losses, is it? It's about the, the whole lifestyle, the traveling, the, the weeks that you're away from your home, from your family. I think it, you, if you're comfortable with the traveling and you're happy with that, I think it's very different than someone who's really, really missing, you know, family events and missing being away from their friends and their home life. Absolutely. And success measures, you know, what we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. What is a success measure? You know, is, is success just winning? You know, and I don't think it is, certainly in my my opinions and my philosophy. So I think having someone like Tamara come and talk like that, we had Lloyd Glasspool of two or three weeks talk about, say, he doesn't really like tennis. You know, and he's looking at it in a completely different lens and scope. You know, it would be great to get an Andy Murray, a Serena Williams, you know, the serial winners out there to see what makes their mind tick as well. But well, yeah. Kyrgios, Kyrgios talked about it on his episode on Breakpoint on the Netflix documentary. He said that he can't travel many weeks. He only plays a few tournaments a year in comparison to a lot of the others because of his mental health, he doesn't like all the yep. traveling. So, uh, you know, I, um, like I said, everyone's different and it's finding out and it's getting that balance right for you. And having the self-awareness for you, self-awareness oh, yeah. self is, is massive. 
But no, great, great topic, a one that we can certainly dig into a little bit more. And what else, Vicky? There's obviously lots always to take from these episodes, but anything else that jumped out for you? She didn't play on a on a hard court until she was 15. Yeah. That was amazing. Like you said, it's the other way around for us. Although I actually, I was thinking, I don't think I played on clay till probably about the same age, but I played on shale. Do you remember shale courts? <laughs> like a poor man's clay court, but... But yeah, I couldn't believe what she was saying about having to get used to the movement of it. That's something that I'd never really thought about before. I would have thought, you know, jumping onto a hard court is quite easy, but she found it really tricky adjusting to the movement on the court. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was fascinating. And like you say, the complete opposite of what we're used to in the UK. You know, stick us on the hard court, stick us on an indoor court, and we feel very much at home. But put us on a clear court, poor, oh, hey, it's like Bambi on ice, you know. And that, so that that was interesting, and how she it it, it that filters into to my opinion actually. That I get asked this question a lot: Is it better to be brought up on clay or better to be brought up on hard? And my answer is absolutely, it's better to be brought up on both. You know, and having the ability to play. On quick courts, slow courts, slippy courts, you know, high bouncing say, courts. Where does grass fit into that? It, it, everywhere, everywhere. You know, I really do. I think clay courts for me is the best, the best assistant coach as we got from we got from the the podcast with Bruno Agudo and Juan Baus when they were talking about it. I think that was Esteban Carril had said that about clay courts being the best assistant coach. But then it's a hard court game. These these players now are playing such an aggressive brand of tennis. You have to be able to control time and space, take the ball early. You have to be able to adapt your technique. So I love it. I remember in the summer when we took our boy Matthew to a tournament and he played his first round on uh, artificial clay, outdoor clay court, which was basically a, an artificial grass court with a bit of sand on it. He then played his second round on a, an American green clay, heavy, heavy balls, wet. The next round he then played on really quick, slick astro courts. Then he played on an ice indoor court. Then he played the final on the on the clay court again. And and I loved it because he had to one from a, a mental standpoint, he had to adapt and, and be resilient to to the challenges. And two, from then a, a technical standpoint, he had to adapt his technique. It's no good just having one conformed technique. You have to be able to adjust, find your contact points, be able to use different skills. And then tactically as well, you know, movement of court positions, how you're hitting the ball, are you playing with more shape, are you flattening it out a little bit, are you bringing the slice in, does that become an effective play? You know, and I think the more that our players get these different stimuli that's coming in, the, the, the better prepared they will be growing up. So granted, I wouldn't want that every single week for every single player, but I do think getting our players on various surfaces, indoors, outdoors, is is really important and I think casing point here a little bit with Tamara you know it's it, it is hard courts probably and sorry Tamara if you're listening to this is probably going to be a bit of a challenge for her for through her career you know I'm sure she'll find ways to have some success but in reality she's going to be looking for CL at the side of the of the tournament tournament schedule to try and get on something that makes her feel very comfortable I don't know, she looked pretty comfortable in the first round against Sons Jabeur. I really thought she was going to uh, take her in that match. She had so many chances. 
Yeah, and she played great, didn't she? And uh, but I think we do see this a lot. It's a tennis match is hard at, at that level. Any tennis match is hard to win, you know. And you can you can play a good match, but ultimately still fall short, you know. And I think we saw once it started to go south in the third set. You could argue, and this is maybe another conversation for another time, but after you win the second set, do not take a toilet break. You know, momentum in tennis is is a massive thing, unless you're just absolutely desperate, of course. But as she played that third set, the confidence did go away quite fast. And, you know, maybe you could argue on a clay court it wouldn't do as much. And, And look, all of us, this is not just about Tamara. Tennis players have preferences. You know, they have preferences for tennis court. They have preferences for conditions. For opponents. For opponents, the type of opponents. You know, some, some opponents give them more time. Some opponents serve the way they like to return. You know, tennis balls. You know, there's there's various, there's so many, there is so many variables in our sport, which is what makes it so challenging. You know, so absolutely, Tamara is a world-class tennis player that can play on any surface, but just maybe that little margin of not quite being used to it, not quite having the volume, not quite having the belief is is why she couldn't get over the line in this match. Uh, but certainly competing like that against the world number two shows that she isn't far away. But she moves into clay courts now, doesn't she? I don't know of her exact schedule, but I know you certainly can. I think she, I think she's in Thailand, which is another hard court event. Um, but you certainly can. You get the opportunity to to jump into the clay courts if you're going to play Indian Wells in Miami, which I would imagine her ranking will be borderline of whether she does. Then you're jumping back to the hard courts for the month of month of March. Before then you get your bigger clay court season between April and running into into Wimbledon on, on, on the grass courts as well. It's it's an exciting season. The tournaments come thick and fast. So watch this space, but you certainly have our back and all the best for 2023 tomorrow. And don't forget to check out the chance to work with us on the show um, starting in September. As Dan said at the start, we're offering a student placement year. So if you or anyone you know um, is interested in podcasting and even better, podcasting and tennis, go to the show notes. We've put a link to all the details for the role in there. Or you can email us at ctc.podcast at sototennis.com. Go on, be brave. (laughs) If you sat there thinking, oh, that would be amazing, but I can't because I just love it in England or I love it wherever I am. I can't leave my friends and family. Be brave. Take that step. You know, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, controlling the controllables, taking that step, taking ownership of your life. We'd love to have you with us. And we promise you an amazing year working alongside the team. My other little plea, and sorry to be this beggar. Now, if you're good enough that you're still listening to us at this point of the podcast, you probably have already been kind enough to like on whatever pod, podcast platform, to to share, to, to leave a review, to press that button 
to subscribe to the podcast. It's all free, but just that 15, 20 seconds that it takes for you to do that means that this podcast grows. And as this podcast grows, it means that we can continue to push it forward, to bring amazing guests to you and bring all of this fantastic value that you get from the show. So thank you for that. Enjoy Australian Open final weekend. And wherever you are in the world, we wish you all the very best. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.